0: In this week's episode and the reality of, of type 1 diabetes or any diabetes, you're only going to be seeing your diabetic team or doctors or whatever it is for a few hours a year. And that means that the reality of the condition and the vast majority of the condition, the responsibility comes down to you. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulon podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. How's it going? Welcome back. Owen here, obviously. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Insulone Podcast. You're going to love today's episode. I really, really enjoyed recording it. For me, it's slightly different to any of the other interviews that I've done up to this point because... It was just kind of like a really interesting conversation that I was having. The guest that I have on is Crystal O'Rum. She is originally from Denmark, but right now is living in California. Well, has been living there for years. And it's, it's funny, actually, because before we started recording, I met Crystal back in 2019 at the Myobetic Diabetes Awards in LA. So we were both there. We met. We had a few good conversations out there. And before we started recording, I was like, Crystal, just to make sure, Crystal, how do you pronounce your last name? And she said it. And even <laughs> even after she said it, I was like, oh, I still have no idea. But she said, however I pronounce, it, it's fine. But anyway, today's conversation is unreal. As I said, really enjoyed it. Crystal is a diabetes expert. She is the creator of Diabetes Strong, which is an online resource for essentially any type of diabetic to go on and learn everything they need to know about living a healthy and active life with diabetes she is a diabetes advocate public speaker youtuber diabetic coach personal trainer blogger there are a few things she doesn't do so (laughs) you're gonna get a lot of value from this episode i certainly got a lot of value just listening to crystal speak so i'm just gonna jump right into it enjoy i'll chat to you soon (laughs) (laughs) when did you move over to the states
1: uh 2009
0: okay Uh, yeah you sound you sound very american now at this stage
1: i know it's weird i've sounded like this pretty much since we moved um my husband even still hear the accent i don't do do you remember him from the the mad bad awards
0: yeah uh, tobias isn't it
1: exactly yeah Yeah. yeah, how's he doing he's well he's i think he's enjoying the whole covid thing he's good with just being home and not seeing anyone it's mm. Kind of like his jam.
0: <laughs> it works yeah. out well then.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, we don't have to go. Ah, oh, this is perfect.
0: Where exactly in California are you now?
1: I'm in Santa Monica.
0: Okay. So that's How was it out of, there. Uh,
1: that's a thing. We've had like some of the worst COVID uh, surges in you know, that's in Los Angeles. So general, so Santa Monica is like a I don't know, posh is not the right word. It's there's a lot of rich people who live out here, mm. so they can afford to live in housing where you're not 10 people cramped into one bedroom apartment. If you go to another end of LA, that's not the case. So we've had a real surge of COVID here, specifically, I think, because people can't, you can't keep social distance when you're 10 people in one bedroom apartment, right? So like around Santa Monica, where we live, there's been a lot of cases. We don't see them down here because of what I just described, I think. Um, I don't know, my neighbor got COVID. So, I guess some of them do, but they both powered through. It's weird. It's it's a new normal, I guess. It's a new normal where we just don't go out as much and it's not a social I didn't have mm-hmm. a gym for a year that was painful.
0: Oh, so, God, what are we do doing training outside.
1: No we I, I try it was super random. I tried, but it's just my passion i I like to go down and then push heavy mm. and I can't do that at home and i I can tell people you know you should you can do anything at home, body weight blah 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 and i have I have <laughs> some well, I mean you can and I know you can I and I tried and it's just not giving me joy whatsoever. Like doing 500 reps with low weights just does not give me joy. I think it's super boring. I know,
0: and it, yeah, it's. I'd be the same as you. But like when I go to the gym, I want to be moving heavy, heavy weight, mm-hmm. and there, there are only so many body weight squats or push-ups Yeah,
1: and
0: all these things <laughs> that you can do.
1: Well, I saw you were hauling uh trash cans. <laughs> yeah,
0: I had to get creative.
1: Are you still working as a trainer?
0: Yeah, are you? Yeah.
1: No, I haven't done that for years, actually. Um, oh, wow. okay. I work as a coach, but that's different. So I did the the personal training for a while, didn't really enjoy it that much. And people kept coming to me with weight loss goals, which I think is super boring. And I'm not extremely good at coaching people through that. Hmm. So ultimately, I was like, I'm just not going to do this anymore because it's not giving me joy. And, you know, I'm not sure I necessarily can get people... Well, I mean, I can, but there's other people who are more qualified. So what I do, so the coaching I do is I work with people on figuring out how to exercise with diabetes. Um, So that's the exercise component. So that means helping them look for trends because there's always trends. If you know how to look at data, you can find trends, there's always trends. Um, So that's one component. Another component, which is more general diabetes management is help. So for example, I have a few clients who don't feel successful when they go to their endocrinologist. So I help them prep for their endocrinologist meetings. So we're going, okay, this is the dating you need to bring. This is how you need to talk to your doctor to get the results that you want. So stuff like that, which is interesting that we have to do that. But yeah.
0: So what sort of advice would you offer to somebody that is going in for their A1C test or whatever it might be?
1: Um, well, it depends on which tools that you have available, right? So if you have a uh, continuous glucose monitor, like a Libre or a Dexcom or a Medtronic for that matter, um, it's about you sitting down first, looking at the data and trying to sort of assess, well, what do I want to work on? What do I... Basically, it's starting, you know, taking one step back. So when, before you go into your appointment, it's like, well, what do I want out of the point appointment? Because... I'm the patient <laughs> and, and, you know, it's my health that we're talking about. So I would say, the first thing is, what do I want out of my appointment? Next thing is, I start out by looking at my data before I go to my knowledge. That's kind of how I, I support people as well. Kind of like, let's, let's look at the data and see what is that you want to work on. And let's say the traditional one, or not traditional, the one where people often go low is like 3 a.m. in the morning or 4 p.m. And that's because a lot of insulins like peak after eight hours of the basal insulin if you're an MDI. Well, just pinpointing that, that means that you can go into the doctor and say, hey, I am noticing a lot of lows around 3 a.m. Look at this. Here you can see it in the data. What do you think about me making this or this change? So you come, if you come in with sort of an approach and a plan, and then your doctor and you can sort of work on together, figuring out what's the right solution for the problem, rather than think about it. So here in the U.S., most people have like 20 minutes with their doctor. If you just come in and go like, I go low, First of all, the doctor will have to figure out, okay, is this a perceived you're going low or is it actually in the data? Then the doctor has to sit down, look through all the data. That takes time. If they manage to do all the data analysis in that short amount of time, then you need to start to look for a solution. There's just, just not enough time. Um, so I think coming in with both an understanding of where are the issues and potentially how would I like to solve them? Um can give you better outcomes. It does require that you, you understand quite a bit of diabetes. It does require that you are comfortable with sitting down and looking at data.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's and even from my own experience, it's so important for people to realize that, as you said, you, you could be in there for 20 minutes, half an hour. Mm-hmm. And the reality of, of type 1 diabetes or any diabetes, you're only going to be seeing your diabetic team or doctors or whatever it is for a few hours a year mm-hmm. and that means that the reality of the condition and the vast majority of the condition the responsibility comes down to you and, and that's
1: the tough part right because not everybody has the deep understanding of diabetes that enables people to then go in and do that analysis so it's I don't know the exact answer to how to solve for this, except for, you know, we all have to keep educating ourselves about the condition. We all have to, like, keep an open mind to that. We probably don't know everything. I mean, I don't know everything. You might know everything, but I don't. I, I don't. It. I don't. <laughs> it's the whole thing about, you know, continuously knowing that I can still learn. There's going to be new mets that's going to come out. There's new devices coming out. There's two, there's better tools, which is a good thing, right? Mm. Um, but as we continue to learn, we can also continuously become better at understanding our condition. But I think, you know, also the human touch, to your point, um, any type of diabetes is very hands-on, <laughs> Um, I think it's one of the only conditions where we ask hands on with our, you know, our management. And that also means that we have some unique insights into, well, okay, when I do this, then this happens when I do this, then something else happens. And the doctors see a lot of different people living diabetes, obviously. But often I think I find that often I get textbook answers back which i'm like this is great but it's not really applicable to me or the nuance i get back from the doctor like response from like well you know this insulin lasts up to so for example i switched to Traceba, that lasts up to 42 hours in the body up to right that means that how long it actually lasts in my body it's going to be dependent on my body how fast i metabolize insulin um and so it's like the doctor can give me that textbook answer, but I have to then do my own, let's say, on body experimentation to figure out well, how long does it actually last? You know, when is the best time for me to take this, you know, insulin for it to work best for me? Same, I switched from Levemir, which is another long acting insulin. So I, I use multiple daily injections, right? Like you do. Um, mm-hmm. And I switched from Levimir. So LevinMirror is set to last up to 24 hours. In it, it no way lasts. So after I used that for like 15 <laughs> years. So I realized it was like, that is not lasting even close to that for me, maybe 12 hours and a good day, maybe up to 14 hours. And I could see that simply if I, I forgot to take a morning dose once or twice, which happens in over 15 years or 15 year time span. And my blood sugars would just like instantly start to rise. So, I mean, again, we can get textbook responses from our doctors, but in reality, we have to you know, take that back and figure out, well, how does it actually apply to our own bodies?
0: Yeah, of course. And we're both kind of preaching the same thing here of, there is a certain amount of information that we can and will get from medical teams, mm-hmm. but it comes down to that just consistent trial and error with our own bodies with our own diabetes understanding like you said how long is this insulin actually lasting in my body Mm -hmm. when should i take more when should i take less yeah and it's funny that you mentioned you can almost notice your your blood sugar spiking when obviously your basal or your background insulin is kind of diminishing in your body Mm -hmm. because i have the exact same thing i split my long lasting Mm -hmm. and if i don't take it at a certain time i feel i feel as if my blood sugar just skyrockets
1: oh, probably, well yeah and it's it's probably true <laughs>
0: uh yeah.
1: actually it's interesting because my my endocrinologist was looking at my data at one point because i was like hey i forgot to take my my morning when i was still in living my, my morning loving at one point and then i went on a hike and I was showing her the graph, and she was like in horror. She's like, "Oh my goodness, I can't believe that you are going high this quickly. You probably were, you know, spilling ketones already, you know, after an hour." I was like, "Holy cow! Okay, that's that's not optimal." <laughs> uh, but I mean, that's no. also, yeah, that's well, it's all that was combination both of not having enough insulin on board and then going on a very tough hike. It's like a, almost climbing up a hill kind of hike. So that means I was doing an activity that was also making my liver like spill out massive amounts of glucose into my bloodstream. And hmm. it was just a perfect storm of how I should not <laughs> have handled it. Um, but you know, it happens when you learn and always good in the end. Um, but I think that's the other thing is yes, it's, it's self experimentation, but it's also, and I think this is where it becomes really tricky for a lot of people because it needs to be a structured experimentation, right? If it's not structured, I mean, if you don't collect the data somewhere, write it down. Nobody can remember what happened three weeks ago at 3 p.m. I mean, nobody can. Well, somebody might, but most people can't, right? So I think if we don't document things, if we don't write them down, if we don't like compare data side by side, then you won't see patterns and you won't see trends. And it's back to when we talked about things that look random, then it looks random. Right. It's the same things people say. Well, sometimes I hear people being frustrated because they're like, well, I do the same type of exercise and I get the different result every time. And then when we start to talk about it, it turns out it's because some days it's fasting, some days it's not fasting, some days it's that exercise in the morning, sometimes that exercise is done in the evening. And like you, you have, when you have that many different variables, then yeah, no, it's not going to be comparable data. Whereas if we said, okay, let's do the same type of exercise every, let's say we prefer to exercise in the afternoon. So every afternoon, and we're going to try and have the same amount of insulin on board. Then you can start to compare. Then it's comparable data, right? So let's say that we three times in a week do go for a jog, 30 minute jog at 4 p.m. and we have some food on board. Well, then you can start to see, well, when I do this, what happens? And I think that's kind of the missing link often is that we have too many variables going on at the same time and we're changing 700 different things and we're expecting to be able to see a pattern, which is nuts. So again, reducing the amount of, uh, of variables, focusing on a few things at a time and then trying to figure that component out, I think that's how we succeed. That's I mean, that's worked tremendously well for me. That's how I kind of started out when I started exercising more intensively, that's how I started out finding what I call my formula for exercise and diabetes. And I kind of find that, you know, as I teach it to others, well, I'm not super surprised about it, but it works for others as well. right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think regardless of how your structure is, so some people like, so in the beginning I had this like tiny little notebook and I would just write down going like, okay, mornings, I'm doing this. This is the amount of insulin I take. This is the outcome. And I kept doing that. And then I would just go back and I would look at my data. Now I'm, well, I do love my Excel sheets. So I create an Excel sheet where I just have everything there because then I can also, you know, I can do graphs, I can do all sort of fun stuff. But it's just, we each have to find a way where we can see our data. And data is everything from what did I eat to how did my blood sugars react? You know, what time of day is it? All these things. And if we can find a way to set up our data, in a way, though, so that we can go in and analyze it, or give it to our medical team so they can analyze it, or show it to a friend so they can analyze it with us. Something, right? As long that's that's really the key to success. Um, and again, yeah, if it, Excel sheet scares you, then don't do that. Do something else.
0: Yeah, it doesn't have to be like a, a very like over the top Excel sheet. I am the same as you. I I'm really rigid with how I manage my own diabetes and I constantly analyze levels I analyze why did something happen this day what was different and like you said yourself comparing activities and the variables around those activities at the mm-hmm. same time is most effective because if you're training in the morning with no insulin on board and then if you're training in the evening on another day with 10 units of fast acting insulin on board of course there's going to be a different reaction with your blood sugar Mm -hmm. and you may automatically associate that difference with is it my insulin is it the time of day is it the food i did or didn't eat and it's impossible then to understand the true impact of the exercise itself Mm -hmm. so for me what i've found works best for my training and my routine and my overall structure to the day is to train first thing fasted Mm -hmm. because what I find with my diabetes is that when I have no fast acting insulin on board, I can just sail through a workout and flatline blood sugar. And I actually saw, I think it was one of your Instagram posts I saw only today, you had said that you went out for a run and your blood sugars skyrocketed. Mm
1: -hmm. Whereas
0: if I went out for a run you know, an hour, an hour and a half, my blood sugar would drop.
1: Even with no IOB? Absolutely. That's interesting. I
0: okay. would get to a certain stage where my blood sugar graph would just look like a cliff. It would just be like okay. an hour, an hour and a half, vroom, gone. Yeah. And then I've to top myself up and then go again.
1: That's interesting. So uh, I found that with, most long-acting insulins. May I ask which one you use?
0: Uh, Lantus.
1: Your Lantus, okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, well, Lantus and Levermere are a little more, freckle, a little more. (laughs)
0: Mm. Uh, Don't remind me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I found that with most of the long-acting insulins, I don't see an impact um, from exercise. And that's actually led me to be like, I think we in the community and in the medical community, they should have been doing this for a long time, but they don't talk more about IOBs, active insulin on board. So meaning, you know, how much do you have going from your rapid acting insulin? Because in my experience, um, most people predominantly see, you know, those, it's called the negative impact of exercise. So the sharp drops, if they have too much IOB going. And I think often that conversation is not had. So people are just, I think that specific post that you're talking about, my point with it was that certain activities can make my blood sugars go up. Um, so some people see that with anaerobic training, like uh, resistance training, mm. you know, sprints, etc. That that just the way that the body uses glucose, that can actually also make, you know, make blood sugars go up during the activity. Um, So my point with that post was simply to say, well, we always talk about how exercise will make your blood sugars drop. My point was, that's not always the case. I think we need to talk more about IOBs, active insulin on board um, in general, because it is, in my opinion, one of the most important pieces of data in regards to how our blood sugars are going to react in different types of situations. Um, and I know not everyone kind of knows their IOB, um, in the sense that if you're, if you're on an insulin pump, uh, and you look at your screen, it'll tell you your IOB. But if you use insulin pens like us, you know, it's, it's a little harder. So I use a smart pen that's only available in the U.S. I know a lot of people outside the U S want it as well, because it's super cool. So that one will actually tell me my IOB. Um, but before that I used an app that's like an $8 app on, on the app store that's called Rapid Calc. RapidCalc is brilliant. It's not FDA approved, it's not approved by anyone, but I mean, I've used it for years and it works brilliantly. Mm. And what it does is if you put in your insulin doses, it will keep track of your IOB for you. Super helpful. You can of course also just, you know, do the math yourself. Um, basically any doses that you take within the last, I used to say four hours, insulin lasts three to five. So I, you know, four hours is easier. Um, so let's say that you took four units two hours ago. Well, you have about two units left, right? So mm. just knowing that, okay, I have two units la- left. Let's say that it was for correction, whatever. So I don't have food on board. I know based on experience and based on me now paying attention to it over the years that if I just go for a walk, so that kind of activity with two units on board, I'm most likely to see a significant drop. So that might be okay if I'm like, 180, so like a 10 millimole per liter. So that might be okay, right? But if I'm at 5 millimole per liter, so what is that? Like 100, 110 milligrams? Yeah, per really. liter, Then that would not be a good situation, right? So I think because I know that I will drop with two active units on board. So that piece of information, I would really encourage everyone to pay more attention to because it really will determine... <laughs> How your blood sugars are going to react in different situations. If you know that activity is going to make your blood sugars go high, well, then you want to balance out your I.O.B. so that it is first of all enough on board so that you don't skyrocket, and second, you want to also t- think about timing because you want it to. You want your insulin to potentially peak at the situation where your blood sugars would go really high, right? So this is like advanced. Diabetes management, but nobody ever taught me this. I mean, I have never had a doctor set me down and say, "Hey, let's talk about IOB and let's talk about type of insulin." It's something that I've had, you know, I've to do as myself because I could. I started to see, well, this variable is really, really important. IOB is super important, and I'd say that my friends who who use insulin pumps uh, would be like, "Well, I have no IOB going." and they would still go low. I was like, well, that's because you're wearing an insulin pump. So the insulin pump drips rapid-acting insulin into your bloodstream 24-7. And that background insulin, so your basal, is not calculated towards your IOB, which is annoying, but it is what it is. The IOB mm-hmm. pumps only shows for boluses. Um, so that's when people take insulin, obviously, for food or corrections. So that means that they can technically be running around let's just say they get like a unit an hour that would be a constant IOB I've done this calculation before <laughs> like 2.5 units so for most people just going out and doing like a long walk with 2.5 units IOB and no food on board would be a, for most people would be a recipe for disaster
0: mm.
1: right but nobody's really talking about I would be like this. So I just kind of, here's something I really want to bring to the table because it's <laughs> yeah. important.
0: So do you then, in a way, structure your day around the insulin that you take? Or do you fit your insulin requirements into your day and into your activity? That's an awesome question.
1: I am a firm believer in living my life and then adjusting my diabetes management to my life. Can that be done? all the time. No, (laughs) it's going to be times where I I didn't plan ahead. Um, but in general, um, I will, I will try and adjust my insulin so that it fits whatever I want to do.
0: Um, so if you found that from your own experience, it's easier to live the life that you want to live when you have that certain level of structure to your day. You can kind of predict what you're going to do. You have a plan rather than just kind of going about your day and taking insulin as you go.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm also a planner at heart. So it's kind of like, that's how I came out of the egg as a planner, I think. But, um, <laughs> so that, that it comes naturally to me. Um, I love making plans. I love structure. So I think if, if you don't like plans and you don't like structure, it's a little more challenging, especially because, as we both know, once insulin is injected, it's injected, it's in your body, and you just have to deal with it. <laughs> um, but I most days, I will – well, even before I wake up, I have a plan for the day. You know, right now I prefer to go exercise in the morning. Uh, my gym just opened – my gym just created a big outside gym, outdoors gym, so I can actually go to the gym, uh, and That's how I'm very jealous. Yeah. I'm so happy. Oh, my goodness. I'm so <laughs> happy. I'm like, oh, my God. This is the best. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, my, my gym has been closed for a year. So, it is now opened up again. So, I go in the morning and then I, I work in the afternoon and evenings. That means that when I wake up in the morning and I go, you know, get ready for breakfast, I do think about that because I know, okay, so I'll be in the gym in about two hours. My insulin was just about peaked at that time. So that, you know, thought process is there every morning. On days where I go hiking instead, you know, I will adjust my insulin for that because that's usually, you know, we usually, I go for a hike with my husband. We hike for maybe an hour and a half, two hours. If I go out on a hike like that with a certain level of IOB, I will go low. I'm not interested in that. Right. So I adjust my insulin. It's a little more complicated than that. And I'm going to get technical. But basically, so I live in California. You drive everywhere because everything is far away here. So if I get up in the morning, I have my breakfast. I walk my dog. And then we need to drive to the hike. It can easily be like three hours after breakfast. Before we go to the hike. And then we hike for an hour and have two hours, right? So I do want to dial my insulin back. But I don't want to dial it too much. I don't want to dial it back too much because then I'll be high for the three hours up until my hike. And I'm not interested in that either. So for me, it's often a balance about, okay, I want to dial it back, but I don't want to dial it back too much. So often what I'll do is I'll dial it back so that I don't go high, but knowing that I might need a small carbohydrate snack before my hike. And I'm okay with that. It's like, it's, that's the thing. I think sometimes we forget that we have, we basically have two levers we can pull, right? We can pull the lever of carbohydrates or we can pull the lever of um, insulin. And I think it's perfectly acceptable to use both.
0: Yeah, I'm the same. I will view my food almost in the same light as insulin. It's another way to keep my blood sugar around about where I want it to be. Mm-hmm. For somebody you're obviously, as as you said, so structured and you plan and you've been a planner since you since you were born in a way. If someone was to come to you, Crystal, and say, I'm not a planner, I'm not Mm -hmm. somebody who has structure to my day. I can't even foresee the next 24 hours, let alone a week of diabetes management. How Mm -hmm. can they be as structured or how can they go about exercise? for their own routines.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, again, we have two levers, right? We have the insulin and we have the food. So I would say that, and I do this sometimes, you know, when I'm like, hey, I want to go roller skating and I want to go for a walk or I want to do something I want to do now. And when you're in that situation, I think it's coming back to the IOB again. I go back and then I look at my, my lock and I'm like, okay, how much IOB do I have going right now? the type of activity I want to do, how does that usually impact my blood sugars? And then I can create a strategy from there. And if let's say that, um, actually let's say I want to go like lift some heavy weights. And I know sometimes that can make my blood sugars go up a little bit and it's afternoon. Well, I might look at my, my IOB and say, Hey, I actually might not have enough insulin on board right now to not go high during this activity. So I might take like half a unit more. Or I might look at it and go like, holy cow, I have like five units of active insulin on board. If I go exercise now, I'm going to like plummet. Well, I can do two things then. I can not exercise, but let's say I really want to go or I can eat. So maybe I have, to have like half an apple or a whole apple, depending on, you know, the amount of insulin on board. So I think, I really think we can, we can go live our lives as we want to without planning, but we have to. Then go back, look at our, you know, again, insulin board, look at the activities and apply some, not just common sense, but also the knowledge that we have about our own bodies and how they react to different things. We have to apply that and then we have to act, right? Because just running out being spontaneous with diabetes doesn't always, you know, yield a good result
0: for me as you say like being able to predict what's going on plan ahead understand and anticipate will i go high as a result of what's happening right now mm-hmm. will i go low later as a result of what's happening right now
1: yeah
0: for anyone who might because i've a lot of i've a lot of newly diagnosed listeners mm-hmm. that listen and i'm try- i'm trying to put myself in their shoes right now And think, oh, my God, there's so many different things to consider. And I almost can't keep up with what Crystal's talking about right now. Was this a gradual process for you to take everything in, to understand everything? And obviously, these calculations, because I fully understand all these calculations that you're talking about, Mm -hmm. they almost happen subconsciously in a way. Even when I'm taking an injection, it's like a split second. I've thought of what's my current blood sugar? What am I going to do in a couple of hours? What have I done leading up to this time? What will the food do? How will it impact my blood sugar? All these kind of split second decisions. Was there a certain tactic that you started to use when you were initially diagnosed to try and get a grasp of all of that?
1: I was winging it for years, which is not necessarily something I recommend, but I mean, I was diagnosed in 97, right? So this is before CGMs. It's before um, a lot of devices. It was some, excuse my language here, crappy insulins. And I think fortunately technology and the insulins come really far. So, but I was, I was, I did not count carbs. I was looking at my plate doing like a guesstimation and then ejecting insulin, hoping for the best. I did not have stellar diabetes management, not because I didn't want to, but more. This is also before Google. Man, I sound old. But I mean, it was before you just went on Googled and Google and looked for stuff. And I, I didn't realize that I didn't have good diabetes management. So again, in the beginning, just guessing, t- I took my insulin. I just didn't take the right amount or enough most times. So I was like flopping along at an A1C, I think of eight or something like that, which is not horrendous in any way. But it took me a really long time before I realized that it, it could be better. And it took me a really long time before I realized the tools available. So I would say newly diagnosed. First of all, a lot of things I've talked about are advanced. So sorry for that. Um, <laughs> I, I just throw a lot of stuff out there. I would say Start in one place. Maybe, you know, start getting the carb counting down. I found that doing carb counting has been tremendously helpful. So that means, you know, actually figuring out how many carbs are in your food. I Food scales are amazing. I think those have been a stellar tool for me looking things up. I use a free app called MyFitnessPal to help me calculate carbs. I use that on a daily basis now. Um, I weigh out my food. I put it in there. It tells me the carb count. Because when you have the carb count, and then you can start figuring out your um, carb ratio. So how much insulin do I need for a certain amount of carb at different times of day? Because all that changed, right? So I would start with something basic like that. And once you have that down, then you can move on to sort of the more advanced stuff, which is, well, I would be for exercise, et cetera. And I would say also, just given that there are a lot of tools available now, use them. If you're an MDI, I mean, use one of the, use the app I mentioned, RapidCalc, or I think in Europe, MySugar also keeps a uh, track of, yeah. IV. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it does. So there are tools out there we can that we can use that can make life easier. I'm all for making life easier. I mean, once I downloaded one of these apps, and all of a sudden, all I had to do was put in my blood sugar and my carbs, and it calculated everything for me and i was like holy cow i don't have to do math in my head anymore this is amazing because well i mean the if you do the whole formula you're supposed to say okay my blood sugar is it within range or not within range with if it's not within range i need to apply my um my correction factor then plus minus the insulin that needed for correction then my my carb ratio for the carbs then you're supposed to subtract your IOB and then you get to your dose. I don't think anybody's actually doing all that math. I mean, I was looking at my plate and I was doing that math sort of intrinsically, sort of like in my guessing, but having a tool, an app or an Excel sheet, whatever you want to use that can help you do that math on the go is extremely helpful. So, yeah, newly diagnosed, you know, learn the basics and then use the tools that are available to us. And if you have an insulin pump, your insulin pump is doing all those calculations whenever you use a bolus wizard. I think it's called bolus wizard or bolus calculator, depending on what tools you use.
0: Yeah, I think bolus wizard is a, is a popular one over here. Yeah. From yeah. somebody who is so vastly experienced even just listening to you speak you just know so much and it's refreshing to hear do you have from your own experience like a go-to story or a go-to incident of what not to do with type 1 diabetes or on the other hand a good example of something really good to do that you learned from a specific moment
1: Okay, so this is a weird story that just popped into my head. So uh, <laughs> a year after my diagnosis, about a year after my diagnosis, I went backpacking through India because that's what I wanted to do. And I had this awesome diabetes nurse. So when I was diagnosed, uh, I was assigned a pediatric pediatric diabetes nurse. And she's amazing. I connected with her actually last year, again, after 20 years. So that was kind of cool. Um, but of she was amazing. She was like, well, you're going to, be able to live exactly the life you want to live you just well of course you need to you need to think about a few more things now that you live with diabetes uh and one of my plans was that i wanted to go backpacking through india and she's like you're doing that of course you are i was like okay i'm going that's cool. <laughs> that's cool uh so a girlfriend and i it was like leap year for us uh, we wanted to go and she came to the clinic with me and um She learned, you know, all the things about, you know, if Christelle falls over, you know, you need to give her glucagon and this is the insulin um, and all these things. And what we were also told back then, this is back when we had all this crappy insulin. So my basal insulin was one of those, it's like cloudy one that had a a little ball in it. You kind of had to mix it, but you had to mix it very gently. If you mixed it too hard, it would go cloudy, it would go bad. You could use it. If it was exposed to like I think the newer insulins are better, but the old insulins like if you're exposed to heat or cold, it would go cloudy and go bad. So there's all these things. And my friend and I was like, well, you know we're living our lives, whatever. So we went on a camel track through Rajasthan, which basically means you're on a, either on a camel or in a like cart. be I mean, pulled by the, the camel, which means that you're being like shaken for 10 hours a day <laughs> and then it got extremely cold at night and it got super hot a day a day so all my insulin basically went bad so i guess one thing not to do is like listen to your doctor don't do stupid stuff but anyway i think that all my insulin went bad and i was in india it was not optimal oh, no. and this is a year into my diagnosis but the other hand my doctor my my not my doctor my, my nurse had taught me she's like you know what You'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. That was kind of the approach I, and this is still the approach that I have to diabetes. I'm going to figure it out. You know, it's not like I'm on the moon. And I I had a really interesting trip. Um, I was gone for three months. I managed to get new insulin shipped down to where I was at. That went bad as well. So that was not optimal. And I managed to go buy some insulin somewhere else. So I think even in situations where, you know, I wasn't listening clearly because I then went and did that camel track and didn't think things true. But despite everything going wrong, despite me not having my insulin, I still have my rapid acting insulin. um, So I could still manage. Right. And it's one of those things going like, it's going to, you know, it's going to be okay if you have a contingency plan, which I did. And if you just keep cool, and I know there's going to be some parents out there going like, oh my gosh, what is this awful advice? Um,
0: (laughs) What have we gotten ourselves into?
1: (laughs) But for me, I think it's really important to know that as long as you have a plan B, you're going to be okay, right? And my plan B, I this is, again, this is before... I was old again. This is before cell phones. So I was faxing. So, you know, when you put a piece of paper into a machine and send that, you know, uh, I was faxing with my nurse and I was like, okay, this is not good. I don't have any basil now because all my basil got back. She's like, well, you still have your rapid acting. And so then you have your plan B. So you just have to act as if you're on an insulin pump, right? So you give yourself, you have to give yourself rapid acting. insulin so at least every four hours and you'll be fine. Is it the pain in the neck? Yes but i was fine right so i mean what i've done over the years is and this is going on for what 23 years now i've traveled the world and i it's always been it's always been fine right um in the sense that uh, i understand insulin i understand how different types of activities are going to impact me i understand that if my If my insulin goes bad, there are options to getting other insulin. I know that if I have a severe low blood sugar, I have glucagon with me. You know, I've taken all the precautions and things are going to go wrong, but I'll figure it out. You know, I'll figure it out. And I always have. Might have been born on a lucky star. I don't know. But I think it's also just, you know. Having the belief that we re- I and I really do believe this, and I know not everybody's on the same page, but I really do believe there's nothing I can't do with diabetes. I really think that, you know, if I I've kinda I kinda done it, you know. I, I got I got my education, the one I wanted. I traveled the world, I ended up moving I grew up in Denmark, I ended up moving to a different continent and I live in the US. Um, I competed in fitness competitions. I've done all these like things that of course I can. Why wouldn't I?
0: That seems to be your your go to motto is there's nothing you can't do with diabetes. Do you think that if you didn't have diabetes, you wouldn't have done those things?
1: No, I was loved at them because that's I lead with what do I want to do? And then I adjust my diabetes management to fit that. I realized that if I wanted to be active duty military, if I wanted to be well, actually now you can be a pilot with Taiwan, so that's fine. But there's certain you know career choices that you can't do with diabetes just because they won't let you in. Um, I've just never really had an urge to to go in any of those directions. Um, but yeah, no, I always leave with what is it that I want. Um, same thing with exercise. When I got really into exercise and when I started competing in the bodybuilding competitions, that was not because of my diabetes. That was because I moved to Santa Monica, California. And all of a sudden I was emerged into this like fitness culture. And I saw all these like really fit people. And I remember looking at, and I, I think muscles are beautiful. And I remember looking at it go like, wow, I want that. You know, <laughs> I, want, I want that to seek. I want that strength. Nothing's
0: going to stop me.
1: Well, it's like, it's it's nothing to do with diabetes. I mean, the fascinating part was it really taught me a lot about my diabetes because all of a sudden I was putting my body through a different type of exercise regime, a different type of eating pattern. And it just, it forced me to, to gain a lot of, you know, understanding of my body I hadn't really had before. Um, So I think it, it ultimately ended up, I've never had as good diabetes management as when I competed. Um so it, it taught me a lot. Is it a sport I would recommend for others? like not necessarily. Um, it's very taxing on the body, but it did the, the eating patterns, the training patterns were so structured. it just meant that, you know, I was weighing every gram of rice I would put into my body. I was looking at my my blood sugar. So this was before I, ha- I had CDM. Uh, so I was looking at my blood sugar readings even more often. And all of that structure and all that data just meant that I had a lot of realizations about, ha, huh, this type of exercise does this to me. This type of food does this to me. You know, if I eat oats in the morning, this happens. If I eat oats in the afternoon, this happens. So it was a fascinating um, science experiment, I would mm, say. Well, that's what it
0: is. It's living life with type one. It's just a consistent science project on your, on your own yeah. body. And it's understanding... These forty-two confirmed factors, and I'll say confirmed because there there are probably more. Forty-two confirmed factors that influence our blood sugar.
1: Is it only forty-two?
0: That's what they say. Forty-two confirmed. Well, I believe. Now, you. I believe it's I just, about a thousand, <laughs> <laughs> at least.
1: Well, that's the thing, and that comes back to you know what what you and I have talked about um, about. Well, there's so many factors, right? I don't think, and that's kind of where also. A lot of people aim for perfection. I don't. I really want tight blood sugar management. That is that is my goal. But I I don't coast around at you know five or a hundred millimoles millim- per liters all the mm. time. And I think I think some people might have an unrealistic expectation that they can. Um, I mean this is diabetes, there's going to be times where you don't know everything that's going on in your body, or you might get stressed, you might be dehydrated, or you didn't sleep well. There's going to be so many things that are sort of outside of your control. And you're going to have high or low blood sugars. And I think it's really important, especially well, regardless of where you are in your, your diabetes journey, to not just accept, but also be okay with blood sugar fluctuations in the sense that they're going to happen. And when they happen, then you deal with them.
0: The big thing I always try and emphasize is not to get emotionally attached to your blood sugar. And what I mean by that is, like you have just perfectly outlined, no matter how disciplined or structured or rigid you are with your time, your food, your training, your sleep patterns, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. inevitably there's going to be highs and lows. Yeah. And if you realize that and you accept that, look, there is no perfect diabetic out there. They don't exist. When you realize that, you're not then going to see your bloods go high or low and think, oh, no, I am an awful diabetic. I'm doing something wrong. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not controlling this thing. Like me and you, I feel, would be confident in our own management. But that does no way mean that we have perfect flat line blood sugars all the time it just doesn't happen yeah so i always say to try and control to the best of your ability the things that you can control and that is the food that you eat the exercise that you do the water that you drink the stress management that you hopefully try and prioritize each day are there a few kind of core principles that you try and stick to each day in terms of Insulin timing, food that you eat, exercise that you do, are there in a way just non negotiables to your day?
1: They're non negotiables. Well, I mean, my basal, given I'm MDI is multiple daily injection, my basal timing is pretty non negotiable um, because that is, it's the foundation, right? If you, if your basal insulin, your long acting insulin, if you don't take that, if it's not fairly on point, then everything else is harder because everything else builds on that. Mm. Um, so even on days where I want to sleep in, so I take my kind of told you earlier, I like to sleep in. I take my morning. I take my morning baseline at 8am every morning. So that means even on days where I want to sleep in, I might just bring it and leave it next to the bed. And I, I have an alarm going at 8am and I take my, Insulin failure, you know. It was more, I would say more important when I was on levimere because leavomere did last a shorter time frame. And now I use for Cbed that lasts up to 42 hours. So which for CBED doesn't really matter if it's like at 7, 8, or 9 a.m. But the shorter duration, long acting insulins, I would be extremely disciplined with the timing. Also, and I would split that one in two, I would take that one in morning and evening because Mm -hmm. I know that it peaks after around seven to eight hours for me, I'd be very, very strict with, well, I don't want to take it at like. I wanted to take it around when I took at 11 PM at night, um, because then I knew it would peak when my morning hormones would start to rise my blood sugars in the morning. So I think that was, that would be like really strict as for food. I, have been really strict in the past I'm not anymore because it was not good for my mental health um and I think there's things that are more my mental health is more important let me say (laughs) like that um so I try to not restrict food I try to eat based on what do I feel like that day given I am very I, I tend I'm a creature of habit I think a lot of us are I do tend to eat the same things I eat like the same thing for a week and then I get totally tired of it and change it all up. Um, But if I want, I really like sweets. So if I want sweets or if I want cake, I'll have that. I'll just try and do moderation, Um, which I know can also be hard for a lot of people, but I'm not, you know, I'm not keto. I'm not super low, super high carb. I've tried that. And again, it, it didn't jive with my, my personality. Let's say like that. What's
0: that yeah I think there there seems to be a similar idea or a common theme that kind of echoes through the diabetes community that you have to eat low carb or you have to eat keto it's like yeah. no you don't because in my opinion particularly that is not maintainable that is not sustainable over an extended period of time you're never you're not going to live the rest of your life not eating any carbs so I'm like yourself. I am a creature of habit. I generally eat the same things each day, but I'm eating, you know, three, 400 grams of carbs a day. And I can get away with that with my blood sugar because like going back to our earlier conversation about insulin on board, I understand my insulin activity. I understand how my body will respond to insulin. So therefore mm-hmm. I can eat whatever I want. Yeah. So it's not about restricting what you eat with type 1 diabetes it's just understanding how to eat with type Mm -hmm. 1 diabetes
1: yeah i think that's spot on and i mean i actually do think there's a few um unicorns who do really well uh, on keto and can do that for a long time i think it's super important if anyone's listening wants to try out keto do it just also know that if it doesn't work for you cut your losses i Mm. tried it it was, a, my body hated it. My insulin resistance <laughs> was awful. I gained a ton of weight, which I know people on keto tell you that you won't, but basically if you're eating too many calories, you're going to get weight. And I right. was. So, my so insulin, what were you we
0: eating on your keto diet?
1: I was eating a lot of How cheese. many calories do you think? See, that was the thing because the whole, the school of thought that I was kind of trying to follow was, well, you don't have to count calories. So that's why it's, so it's not going to be like, Mentally restrictive, so that was kind of the one of the reasons why I wanted to try it out. I was like, okay, I need to do something where I don't focus so much on on the calories or all of that. I just want to eat when I'm hungry. I'm always hungry, so me <laughs> I mean, for me, me I, could eat, I could eat a lot of cheese. Uh, so it was just you know, given fat is very calorie dense, it just meant that I was consuming a boatload of calories, which. Is, which fine it's just more than i need it uh, but it was more of the insulin resistance it was awful and my digestion was awful as well because i wasn't getting enough fibers so i clearly wasn't doing keto and you know in a way that worked for my body or it probably wouldn't work for anyone i don't know even in the end my endocrinologist he's like can you please stop is this awful for your body you know mm. and I was like yeah you're right it is and i'm not happy so i stopped and I think that's kind of one of the things as we to your point about the diabetes community, there's a lot of people going like, well, you have to eat a certain way. And if you eat a certain way, it's going to be, you know, your road to happiness. I think it's okay to go down that road and just try it out. You don't know if it's going to work for you until you tried it, but it's just really, really important to then realize when it's not working. And then again, as I said before, caught your losses, move on to something else.
0: Yeah, it's the constant trial and error. And there's no, like we both know all too well, there is no one size fits all with type mm-hmm. 1 diabetes. Like mm-hmm. even though me and you consistently have that goal of, I want my blood sugar to be stable. How we go about that can be completely different. Yeah. It's like the result we want is the same, but the equation that leads to that result is miles apart so it is about understanding your body understanding how you react to insulin exercise food stress whatever it is and i think that's the main thing that i realized shortly after i was diagnosed was that there are so many different things to consider here Mm -hmm. and i'm only going to be given a baseline amount of information it's about what can I learn? What can I understand about my unique diabetes? Because it's unique to me. Yours is unique to you. And it's important that we know these things. So my second last question would be, what's one piece of advice you would offer yourself the day you were diagnosed?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I got, I actually think I got handed that piece of advice for my diabetes nurse because she was the one who'd go like, well, this sucks, but there's nothing you can't do. And that one, that stuck with me. Um, I think, you know, those initial thoughts and feelings that you have when you're diagnosed and it seems like, wow, then I I, do I have to like change my whole life? Do I have to, you know, live a certain way? Can I never eat a lollipop again? You know, all these things, right? Um, And I think the important thing i'd empathize what what she said and just say well live your life based on what you want to do and then adjust your diabetes to that life because i really think that's doable i mean i've I've done it so so you can yeah lead with what you want to do
0: it's similar to what i was told when i when i was diagnosed i had a great nurse in my hospital too and she essentially said the same thing she said look on this isn't ideal to, to be diagnosed with type one. Yeah. But she used the analogy of you can live your life, you can do whatever you want, but just keep stirring the pot. And diabetes is kind of like that pot that she was saying. You just need to keep stirring, make sure it doesn't overflow, make sure it doesn't get too hot, and you can still do anything you want. Yeah. If you had the opportunity to thank diabetes for something what would that be
1: um if i could think thank my diabetes it's interesting because it is well one thing is it has given me some insights into my body i think people who do not live with diabetes don't have um that's good and bad obviously in the sense that <laughs> you know <laughs> i have to pay attention to my blood sugars and you know everything i put in my body that can also feel really restrictive I mean, it's interesting because I, and you know, I was diagnosed in 97, my first job out of business school. So I actually, I have a business, uh, business degree in finance and strategy, which, yeah, it's interesting. But anyway, that was, it. when I came out of business school, my first job was, uh, with Nordisk, which is one of the largest manufacturers of insulin. I don't think I would necessarily have looked up that company and gone that route had I not been living with diabetes. That actually led me to a career, uh, a corporate career in diabetes. So I worked in diabetes tech. I worked, well, diabetes medical devices rather. Um, and I worked life science, healthcare consulting um, as well. So I've done all these things that kind of like my diabetes kind of let me down that career path. And it's been really, really interesting. Um so I learned a lot and it's just it's been really rewarding career. I then switched completely back in two thousand fifteen and now I I run the diabetes strong sort of I wouldn't even call it franchise. So it's a, the diabetes strong um, website predominantly. But it is a
0: franchise. I mean. We call it a franchise. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um and it's it's so it's it's led me down a really interesting career path. And I now I mean Diabetes is my career now, right, both professionally mm-hmm. and, I guess, personally. So I'm thankful for that because it's it's a really interesting path.
0: Yeah, it's cool. It, it I suppose even a lot of the people that I have on here, without them even sometimes consciously making the decision to do what it is they're doing, it's kind of like diabetes, just like silently pushing them towards <laughs> something, which obviously is the same with me. So before I let you go, where can people find you? Where can people reach out and find out more about you?
1: Yeah. We kind of just talked about that. So um, my main platform is diabetesstrong.com. Um, you can also find me on diabeticfoodie.com. So that is the other website. Um, if you want to interact a little more like with me in person, go to Instagram. It's diabetesstrong underscore IG. So IG stands for Instagram. Um or I sort of document my, my life living with diabetes also on Facebook same name, Diabetes Strong so
0: well, I would absolutely recommend anybody listening who isn't following Crystal to follow her because she certainly provides information and uh, experience to show you that diabetes will not as we say, stop you from doing anything so thank you so much for coming on, I really appreciate your time And I was looking forward to a good conversation because I know we were chatting in in LA that time. That seems like Uh nearly a lifetime ago. ago. But uh, Yeah. yeah, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: How's it going? Owen here again, just dropping in to leave you a few words before I let you go on your merry way. Again, big thank you to Crystal for coming on. I love having people like that on the podcast because it's like, come on to the podcast. Just let them speak, listen, and I learn more every time I get a guest on like that. So it's uh, from a selfish standpoint, it's uh, very beneficial for me to just have these people on to listen because as we know, even specifically talking about that episode there, you understand how intricate and complex and detailed diabetes can be. So listening to an expert like Crystal talk about it, and her perspective and opinion and ideas on things really open your eyes to all the other factors and variables that can influence your blood sugars and how to manage or treat daily activity, lifestyle, habits, routines, all these kind of things. So thank you, Crystal, for coming on. Really appreciate it. And thank you for listening. I hope you got some good value from it. Hope you're looking forward to next week. If you haven't caught up with all the episodes, Go back right now and listen to all the episodes of the podcast because your diabetes will thank you. Your diabetes will pat you on the back and say, I appreciate you listening to that podcast because it will help your blood sugar and it will help your diabetes mindset. Have a great day, have a great week. If you have any questions, stories, thoughts, ideas, please do not hesitate to reach out to myself and Graham via email the insulon Podcast. <laughs> the in podcast at gmail.com. Any story we want to hear. It. Any question we wanna hear. It. Have a great day, have a great week. I love you. See you later.